welcome to Day Beautiful's Digital Book Tour. This is a podcast series for authors who had their book tours canceled because of COVID-19. Here, they'll be able to read from their book and then answer a few questions so readers across the country are able to learn about their book and hopefully buy it from an independent bookstore. Today's guest is the author of Lakewood. Her name is Megan Giddens, and I am honored that she actually spoke with me on her uh, book publication date. I rarely get to talk to an author on the day their book actually comes out. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Megan Giddens. Hey, Megan, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking. I, I was just thinking I, I, I rarely talk to authors on their actual books publication day because of like how the publicity cycle goes or whatever. Uh, so it's, I'm, I'm honored you're taking the time to talk to me today. I mean, thanks for talking to me today, too. I, like everybody else with the COVID-19 going on, my, I sort of have a few dates left. They're kind of been holding, but I was supposed to be reading tonight and having a release party. So this is my release party now. Yeah. Um, your book, your book, <laughs> Lakewood. Tell readers, tell readers what it's about. So... On a plot level, Lakewood is about, and none of these things will really be spoilers. I'm telling you what happens on page one even, is that Lena, a young black woman from Michigan, her grandmother dies. And her grandmother had a significant battle with cancer. So there's a lot of medical debt and a lot of the fees associated with funerals and everything like that. And her mother also has a chronic illness that has not really gotten a formal diagnosis. And so there's also a lot of medical bills from that as well. And Lena is in college, she's 21. And she realizes that the only way to keep her and her mother afloat now is to find a job. And it's really hard to find a job when you're 21 and you don't have a degree and you don't have any wealthy connections. So Lena ends up getting a job that is very mysterious. You know, leave it there for now, but I'll come back to it in a little bit. Awesome. And the whole point of what I'm trying to do here with this like digital book tour is so authors can still read to people who want to hear them read because they missed out on a tour. Um, so you can go ahead and start with your reading whenever you're ready. And thank you so much. All right, so I'm going to give just a little bit of a spiel before because I'm going to jump ahead. So I'm going to read part of Chapter 5, and really all that you have to know is that, this is the jumping ahead part, is that a job that Lena potentially might get is to be a member of a research study. And if she gets in, she'll relocate to a mysterious fake small town. And I'm saying fake just because a couple of booksellers from Michigan have asked me if I've been talking about their Lakewood. Apparently there are three in that state alone and there are a million Lakewoods out there. But in the book, it's a real place. (laughs) And first she has to be evaluated to make sure that she would be the right fit for the program. That's pretty much all you need to know. She's there. She's getting evaluated to see if she can keep going further into Lakewood. So chapter five, 
The first session was with a blonde woman who introduced herself as Dr. Lisa. She was the type of tall, muscular woman who, despite looking close to 50, people probably still asked if she played volleyball or basketball. They started the session by going into the small garden behind her office and walking together as the day slowly warmed, frost melting on the grass. How often do you read the news? Dr. Lisa asked. Not much. Between school and work and family, I always feel behind. Although, I guess, maybe that's a good thing right now. Still, how much do you think that the news you read influences the way you see the world? A small burst of cloud puffed out Dr. Lisa's mouth with each word. Embarrassed, Lena's voice cracked as she said she didn't think she could truly answer the question. She looked down at the daffodils, so bright compared to anything inside the doctor's office. The sunlight made the doctor's hair look more white than blonde. Do you believe in a higher power? I want to. The wind gusted, pushed the daffodils around, trailed its fingers through the grass and tree branches. What are your views on how America treats women? Can you repeat the question? What, Dr. Lisa said very slowly, are your views on how America treats women? I don't think that's a fair question. Dr. Lisa stopped walking. For the first time, her eyes were directly on Lena's face, not on the clipboard she was carrying or on a bird's progress. Tell me why. It forces me to make an assessment about all women. I am a thousand percent sure there are plenty of white women who think America is great to them. But America is only routinely good to women, especially black women, when it wants something from them. Well, how is that different from men? Some birds bickered on a tree branch, then flew off into the bright blue sky. I think men can be absolutely useless, and a lot of people find a way to say something nice about them, especially white men. But a woman has to be something. If she's not, you know, considered hot or the right amount of smart or good at cooking, people don't see her. And if she's too much of something, then many people hate her. Isn't that a little cynical? Demoralizing? Lena shrugged. The tip of her nose felt cold, as if it would start running soon if they stayed out in the chill air for much longer. Sometimes. But most of the time, because it's the way things are, I don't think about it consciously. I just deal with it. I think I understand what you're saying, Dr. Lisa said, her voice slow and thoughtful. She scribbled something. Lena brought her hands up to her mouth and blew on them, clapped a few times. I think you're ready. Let's go inside. Once Lena was settled into the large wing chair across from Dr. Lisa's desk, the next question came. How comfortable are you when people of other races attempt to talk to you about racism? Lena raised her eyebrows. That's a good enough answer. How much do you care about other people's opinions? Lena crossed her ankles. She explained that if it was family or Tanya, she cared a lot, but she didn't have the bandwidth to care too much about what other people think. I'm already tired a lot of the time. Lena coughed. A small fountain on Dr. Lisa's desk burbled water. Its motor, its motor rattled. I lost my train of thought. Next, it was on to hypotheticals. Let's say there was a car with its brakes out heading toward a crowd of people. If it hit the crowd, it would kill maybe five people. You have the option to divert it, only killing the driver. What would you do? Lena paused. I guess if I had to, kill the driver... A person is plotting attack against other people at your school. You have the option to stop them, but the way you do it will result in their death. Can you do it? 
why do you want to know if I could kill someone? I'm just getting to know you. Now, what if a person was standing in your living room at night pointing a gun at you or at your mom? Dr. Lisa's white teeth look freshly painted. What if a man was sexually assaulting you? How far can you go? Out the, wind- out the window was a patch of Queen Anne's lace. A bee buzzed over it. Didn't they hibernate? Lena had no idea if she could ask or take a break. Dr. Lisa leaned back in her seat and adjusted the blinds. Do you need me to repeat the question? Thanks. The light was making my eyes hurt. Lena's lying voice always came out in active higher. Lena, it's, impo- it's important that you answer every question as honestly as you possibly can. I guess deep down, I think I could do a lot to make sure other people survived. But I think everyone wants to think of themselves as a potential hero. And I think I'm avoiding answering the questions because the idea of being in a situation where I have to hurt someone else makes me feel mostly sick. Lena looked down at her hands. There was a patch of dry skin near her left thumb. Thank you. The doctor took a sip of water, another. Then she cleared her throat. Let's say you found out that aliens are real during these studies, but you've given your word and signed a binding contract. What do you think could get you to break that promise? I guess, I don't know. Maybe if the aliens are going to kill us all, I'd rather be alive in prison than dead by an alien's tentacles. Dr. Lisa underlined something. Lena rubbed her nose and pushed some of her hair back. Do you trust white people? Lena took a long sip of water before answering the question. And that's all I'm going to read for right now. Thank you so much for reading that. I I feel that a lot of people (laughs) might want to classify your book as some sort of like speculative fiction because it does deal with some mysterious things that I don't want to spoil. Do you view it as speculative fiction or, or how do you view your book? I wrote it. I wrote it thinking a lot about how sometimes when you're really direct about a problem, and the problem is healthcare in this country. I mean, we could probably talk for a very long time about it and the way that it's built upon inequity. It's, I'm deeply angry and I'm, it's been a really rough day for me, especially with all the things people are saying now about who should live during this. Oh my God. Um, but but I, I thought that if I wrote things a little more fantastic, I, w- I wouldn't write a rant. And so I think there are elements of genre in here. But I think, I think sometimes people would rather say something is speculative or a thriller or a horror. Or I've even seen someone call my book a satire, which, oh, okay. But... I think sometimes people would rather talk about a genre than the real problem that my book is at least attempting to address, which is that inequity. I think in average though, in this country, we don't want to talk about the things that are unfair because we're both ashamed when things don't work to our advantage. And we're also, I don't know if I should call it shame, but we're at least 
uncomfortable when things work to our advantage. And I think a lot of people would rather talk around their discomfort than kind of get to the heart of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mentioned before we started recording that I work, I work for the state government and I have for the past four or five years now and seeing the inequalities Mm -hmm. put forth is, is eye opening, like to be on that side of things and trying to fix it from the inside, but being a small ant in the ant farm, if you will. Yeah. And I think with your book, Oh, go on. I can't imagine. Yeah. I just think with your book, I, I wouldn't consider it. I would consider it very realistic. It's, literature is meant to make us think about things in different ways and your book does that yeah it's 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 so strange releasing this book right now where if you're remotely paying attention people are making things that have been subtext text i mean if you're saying that people deserve to die for the economy mm-hmm. what what the fuck has happened to you sorry I no I, no that. that's totally fine it, well and like the president referred to the citizens as consumers at one point and you know the lieutenant texas governor last night said oh i think grandparents would die yeah you're right they would die for their yeah. grandchildren's economy and i mean my mother my, my my mother's not a grandmother but she's in her 60s and I don't think she wants to die anytime soon, you know? It's just insane. No, and I mean, my mother, same situation. And I mean, my grandmother, one of them is still alive. She's 90. She was born in the Great Depression. The only thing that she has ever really deeply wanted for me is to be educated. I, I don't think she wants me to die to be rich. But she's told me about how much work she had to put in to just get a high school education with talking to her father and like convincing him to let her keep going after eighth grade. I mean, I'm, I think that she would, I just thinking about this makes me so mad. It breaks my brain a little bit that an elected official <laughs> would say that. I, it's been really interesting. I guess that's the word I'll use. I want to use a lot more words, but it's been interesting to see how, like, like I think you said it best, a lot of subtext, a lot of hidden coded language that we've, that politicians have used for the past millennia is now just out in the open. Mm-hmm. And in your book, I was telling someone, I think it's the perfect book to release right now because it is answering or trying to answer a lot of those questions of what the hell's going on right now. And I mean, I feel like I was trying to write the subtext in the book and now it just, uh, I don't know. And I even feel strange about releasing the book now just because I, I kind of never anticipated that it would feel as timely as it suddenly does. Like, it just seemed like the issue was simmering and simmering and now all of a sudden it's exploded. It's everywhere. For as timely as it is, obviously you didn't just write it and get it published overnight. How long 
were you working on this and how long have you been thinking about this problem that is in America and in the world? It took me from the time I started it to finishing with my editor. It took me five years and some of the roots of it were before this, I had had a family member who was diagnosed with a pretty serious ailment. And we were lucky that it turned out to be a mixed diagnosis. It was just someone's mistake. But to get all the tests to verify that the diagnosis was incorrect, it cost all of our savings, even though we had insurance. And by the time we were close to finding out answers at all, and we were told to kind of expect the worst, it was just, how are we going to keep you alive? How can we afford this? And that was with insurance. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, I don't uh, even know what I was going to say. Okay. And then, that. yeah. <laughs> and I think, and then through this writing process, through that insurance fraud, almost, I feel, I feel if you have to pay your entire savings and you have insurance, there's obviously some fraud happening somewhere right i mean it's impossible for us to yeah but i mean i'm also a millennial i <laughs> i barely have savings no I no but i pay mean so much in student loans well that's another piece of but i mean you're also right <laughs> yeah but even student I... loans that's a piece of that's fraud we were told we need this education and we're taking out quadruple what it actually costs because of interest and and the lifestyle they yeah. they the government wants us to lead because this is america I mean, yeah, and I, I mean, we could get into so much, like a question, like I'm helping to teach a course and it's about inequity in education. And one of the things that we, me and the co-instructor asked the students to think about is what, what is the purpose of education today? Are you becoming a well-educated thinking member of society or are you being trained to be part? And we, we, we're not specific. We don't say capitalism because we don't want to lead them in a direction where it automatically feels like that they're going to be shamed or we're going to be angry at them if they buy into capitalism. I, but it is something to even think about. Are you paying these student loans to learn how to think and be whatever your definition of well-educated is, which is also a difficult one to quantify now? Or are you being trained to be a certain way to fulfill the requirements for a job application someone has read? but you're not really taking the time to learn many things or engage with thinking or engage with how you might want to come out of college. Yeah. I think that's some, a conversation that not just the class that your co-teaching needs to be having. And I don't know if a lot of people are having it with their children or their classmates or, or whoever. Yeah, and I mean, there's so many aspects to it. Like, I know that I'm very grateful for all the education I've had. 
I know that there's no way I would have even been able to afford to write a book because even writing a book is an expensive task just through time. But I also, the amount of money it costs to be even remotely educated to be able to get a job that you can use to sort of pay your lifestyle it's absurd. Mm-hmm. And then bringing it back to the book slightly, Lena herself finds an option or seemingly finds an option to help her and her mother and her grandmother. And that's reflective in society now so many times. And I guess it's always been reflected in society. So many times young people need to, forego dreams to be able to help others survive. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm, I think what sometimes people forget is that when you have money, you also have connections. And I think that we couch, and I'm saying we as an Americans, I think, I think we say things like middle class, and I don't even know if that's a real thing anymore, technically, just in the way that we use the phrase, because it either means I am rich and I am embarrassed to say I am rich, or it means I am living paycheck to paycheck and I'm able to buy some things on occasion but I am totally in deep shit if somehow I didn't get paid within a month. And I think that Lena, I think she had to be 21 because I don't think many 21 year olds think about things like this. I don't know if it was possible for me to think that deeply or understand it at 21 because I, I just needed the money to go to college. Like I worked at the post office in the summers to have enough to keep going, even though I also have loans and some scholarships. And I, I just think a lot about all the different ways people described what they needed to do month by month to just get through things. And I think it just wears you down. It destroys you a little bit. I remember talking to a coworker a few years ago and we were, again, we work for the state government and I forgot how it got brought up, but she said, well, I don't live paycheck to paycheck. And I was like, well, we have the same exact pay and it's hard for me not to live that way. And then I dug a little deeper and it was Mm -hmm. like, she had, she had those connections, the parents who, you know, let her live rent free and and that's great. And that's a beautiful thing, but it's like, none of us in the rat race are in an okay position. Very few of us, regardless if, you know, you're an author, a best-selling author or a state government worker or whoever, it's just, we're positioned in these ways that I think. I find interesting, interestingly reflected in your book too. Yeah, I think, I think one thing I've noticed is that people are way more comfortable 
and this is just in the reviews of it, they're very comfortable talking about the aspects of race. I, they're comfortable talking about gender, but people are deeply uncomfortable with talking about kind of the class issues at play here. Like I, I was thinking, and I was going to talk a little bit about some of Sally Rooney's books later when we talked about what I'm reading, which I'll probably still do it. But I think people have a really easy time talking about how Sally Rooney's books are about class because it's so much easier to talk about class and money in some place like Ireland where there is a social safety net still. I think we're way more willing than the U.S. to talk about her books in that framework because her characters will... If, who is it? Francis? If Francis wants to make $16,000 in conversation with friends her entire life, she'll be okay. She's in Ireland. She'll probably be okay. She's a white woman in Ireland. But if you're in the United States and you're making $16,000 a year, I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic and our government doesn't even want to give you enough money to live on, even though you're $16,000 a year, you're either getting exposed probably to Mm COVID-19 or you've been laid off already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like in the reviews that you've seen or in in the conversations that people have had surrounding your book pre-publication, are any of them really talking about the social class or are they zeroing in on race and gender? I think until I talked to Alana Massad for the LA Times, there was, I think the biggest focus was race. There were so many comparisons to get out. And I also think that it still kind of gets boiled down in the book when people talk about it to being about black and white. Like the Kirkus review for the book mentioned that and it told me so much about who did the Kirkus review more than about my book. And they noted how Lena notices that characters are white and she makes it text. And I thought, what does this person reviewing the book think happens every day? But it's such a strange it's such a strange thing to see how much our cultural attention is starting to shift from just through like watching the book publicity cycle work for my book, where people really want to talk about race. They want to talk about get out. And now people are starting to want to talk about the inequity at the heart of the book. And that's just within like the four months Mm -hmm. span of talking to people or seeing them. Mm Mm-hmm process it yeah i think it's easier for certain types of reviewers white reviewers even like me as a white man to i remember i was talking to an author a while ago and he he said the book's not about race i'm black and this is my viewpoint and it's about my social anxieties as a whole and i think it's just Mm -hmm. like you said it's 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 more about who reviewed that in kirkus than than your book and yeah and what they want your book to be about almost as opposed to what it is about 
Um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard for me to process that it's not like it's one of those things where, like, yeah, the book is about race to me, but I think every book, at least in the United States, is about race in some ways. I it doesn't matter to me if you're a white writer or a black writer. I think. I think the only pushback I have, like the author you're referencing, is it's only people who are other who are talking about race to a lot of reviewers. And I wouldn't push back at all if I saw any white writers where not where it's just white people talking to white people if their books were still called about race, because that's obviously definitely about race when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Sally Rooney earlier, and I guess I will transition because mm-hmm. I, I do want to. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but is or have you been reading Sally Rooney recently? Is is that why she's on your mind? Yeah i I've been having a hard time focusing, like mm. everybody. Yeah, and so I decided to just read a book that I enjoyed and read before. So I started rereading Conversations with Friends. Mm-hmm. And some of it does work really well for right now because it's nice to read a book that is so interested in bodies and desiring them and it's filled with people and crowded and there's so much about attention and friendship that it makes me feel really good to reread like a book like that at this moment in time. Yeah, I'm actually rereading a book that came out in February that I read, and I just it was at the top of my shelf, and I was like, I'm just going to read it again, just because I it was recent. Maybe it'll bring me back to slightly before all of this, and there is some comfort in that. Yeah, I've also been reading um, Alexandra. T- well, you talked to her too, but. Her book comes out, Alexander Tang's Days of Distraction. It comes out next week. It's so good. Um, that one's going to be Kelly interesting. Ford's Cricket, oh, Hallelujah. I, but yeah, I'm excited for that one as well. You have that yet? I did. I, I reached oh, out to her so on Twitter and I said, hey, I'm going to ask your publicist for this and I can't wait. And we were chatting back and forth a little bit. But the Alexander Chang conversation you referenced, we, I recorded that like in depth podcast early mm-hmm. early february and like looking back and listening to her right now is like it's a different world almost how we spoke 30 days ago i can believe it yeah oh my god <laughs> yeah but have you uh... one of the wild things for my interviews is that a lot of them are reading like i was just talking last night like i had an interview come out in electric lit and we spoke two months ago but I I think it's the difference in tones between my and Alexandra's book too. Is that? Oh man. Yeah, I can't. Time is so strange. It definitely is. Um, with Crooked Hallelujah, have you gotten your hands on it yet? Yeah, we're actually all in a Women of Color debuts group, so we've been swapping galleys since last fall. A big chunk of us have been. It's been great. They've all been, there's so many people in this group, but especially the March group, we've all been super supportive of each other. So like Maxine, Mei Fung, Chung, and also Macy Card. It's been 
really nice to like be able to compare notes with other people and just have like a group of people whose work also kind of just inspires you and wants you to keep writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, March. Oh man, March itself. I think you and I we tweeted a while ago about. I thought your book came out in April because so many books are like March is overwhelmingly amazing. Yeah, and, I. Uh, yeah, I mean, today alone is the new N.K. Jemison <laughs> and um, Emily St. John. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I, that's good. You have that that not. I don't want to call it a support group, but that group where you are able to support each other. And especially in this weird time that we're currently living in. Yeah. Pam, Pam Zhang sent me cake last night. And it was so nice to just have someone who knew I've been freaking out a little bit and is going through similar stuff. Just surprised me. Well, that's, it's been great. That's terrific. Yeah. I, I think that's, what we need as a society right now is these reaching out from a distance and because a lot of us are alone, you know, cooped up in an apartment or wherever. And yeah. uh, Yeah. Well, that's lovely. Was the cake good? (laughs) Oh, it was great. It was such a nice surprise. That's awesome. Uh, I I do love a good, (laughs) a good piece of cake. Um, well, I'll, I'll end there. We'll, we'll end on a high note of, of delicious cake. Um, I want to, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, especially on your book publication day. Um, I, I really appreciated this. Thank you for talking to me and thank you for running this series. It's awesome. It's truly great, Adam. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again to Megan Giddings for coming on the podcast. I hope to do this digital book tour series as long as possible. And we mentioned the Alexandra Chang, the in-depth podcast. The regularly scheduled monthly podcast will be up for you guys to listen to next Tuesday, March 31st. You can find Megan Giddings at MeganGiddings.com. She's on Twitter at MegGiddings, and that's only one G in there. Um, You can find me at DayBeautiful on all the social medias or at DayBeautiful.net. Please subscribe to the podcast and share it as much as you can. And like always, don't forget to vote. Stay safe out there and social distance. Thank you.